there's anybody out there, it's me, Jennifer. It's been a while. I know, I haven't done my podcast in, I think, months. I think December was the last time I put out a podcast. Um, A lot has gone on since I've been here, and um, I didn't mean to be gone this long. I just um, had other things that were going on, and so it's been busy, and I felt like I had so many good podcasts that I'd done in the can, and I was kind of okay with taking a little bit of a break. You know, the holidays had come, and Eric had come into town, so he was here for four months and just left um, in, well, it's been a few weeks now, almost a month. And so I get really busy when he's here. We're busy, you know, snowboarding. I'm working and we're surfing and he's skateboarding. (laughs) Anyways, we're just busy doing stuff. And so my YouTubing and my podcast were really put on the back burner. And that's my sort of typical when he's here because I feel... I don't know, it feels awkward to go into my room and talk into a microphone in my closet while he's downstairs, or to go into my room and set up my camera and talk into my camera. It's just a weird thing in general to talk into mics and cameras when no one's around. It's really a weird thing. I don't think you really get it until you do it, how weird it is. Like, I'm definitely really comfortable talking into my phone at this point, just holding it up and talking into it for, like, Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And I always wonder why more people don't do that. And I'm like, oh, that's right. It was really weird doing that in the beginning. It was. That was weird. But I'm super comfortable doing it now. But I remember thinking back when I first started doing that, how, you know, holding my phone up and talking into it was this very odd thing. And I, but of course I just still like, I watch people who, um, skateboard and stuff. And I, they never talk into their phones. They never turn the phone on their face and talk. And I think they're just shy or aren't sure what to say. And they only film themselves skateboarding. And I thought, why don't they do more like talking, telling us what's going on, explain all the, uh, you know, tricks that you're doing. I want to know more about them. I want to know what you're thinking and how, like, if that scared you or if it was easier, how long did it take to do that? But I realize it definitely um, is not something that everyone is comfortable with. So anyways, there's that. But yeah, I think I got out of the rhythm of being uh, in front of my camera and my mic, and I was probably a little gun shy. And this just takes some getting used to getting back into. And honestly, I wasn't really sure what to talk about because I felt like I'd covered so many topics. I was so happy with all the people that I had had on who told their stories about having HIV And then, of course, Judd Winnick from the real world was such a big deal for me. I I can't even tell you to talk about Pedro Zamora. And, you know, that was his roommate on the real world. Pedro made such a huge impact in the world of HIV. And he really put it on the map and put a face to it. And we all fell in love with Pedro. And it was just the most heartbreaking thing to watch his journey. I it just like scarred me what happened to him and I never forgot about him and then of course years later I'm sitting here with the same virus and I just can't believe like there's this connection now to Pedro because I talked about it publicly like he did and and then I get to talk to his roommate I mean it's amazing so I'm yeah I'm connected with Judd Winnick and you know we actually live close by I mean we're only like an hour from each other so someday maybe I will meet him in person and of course his wife Pam was on the show as well And it's all just very surreal to me. I am such a huge fan of the real world. 
and road rules and the challenge shows. I know everybody's name. I know all their romantic stories, everything. I mean, I've been following these people for probably, well, since the beginning, since, you know, real world New York. So I know everybody. So it's like very surreal to me to talk to somebody from one of the shows. And I was so happy about that podcast. And then I had also spoken to Carrie Luther, who is Tosh Ackerman's mom. And his story, I think, became national news. He died of a fentanyl overdose. He was really local. Like he worked at the grocery store right by my house, one that I go to. And his father is um, the owner of a, a store in Santa Cruz called Bill's Wheels, and they sell skateboards. So of course, I'm like, you know, all into skateboarding. So I know about Bill's Wheels. It was his son. There's a huge mural of Tosh, the one who died of the fentanyl overdose on his the side of his dad's building. And um, anyways, I really wanted to talk to Carrie. I had talked to her a couple years ago, and I was going to do a YouTube video with her, but it's just I wasn't prepared for setting up a camera somewhere in a park and us sitting there and talking and just um, it never happened. And so this was an easier platform to deal with. So we just did a Zoom call and I recorded it and that worked really well. So I put that up and I was really happy to have talked to Carrie because I had promised her <laughs> years ago that I wanted to talk to her and put it on my channel but it didn't happen that way with a video. It just, we ended up doing it as a podcast and I was really happy about that. So I'm glad that that information is out there about fentanyl and how dangerous it is to buy, obviously, drugs off the street. But some people think that these counterfeit medications are safe and they're just not. So unless you're getting it from a pharmacy, you cannot trust that the medication that you're taking isn't possibly laced with fentanyl. It is so incredibly lethal. It's, it's so lethal, like just a little crumb, like the size of a grain of salt can kill you. So it's terrifying, super terrifying. Okay. So there's that. So, um, what haven't I talked about? I haven't really talked about the fact that I am subbing online. I've been doing that since the beginning of the school year. I had two different positions. Everything is distance learning at the moment. Well, we're back a little bit. Um, the kids that I have now go in the afternoon four times a week. This just started last week and they go for an hour and a half in person, but I'm not there in person. I chose to opt out of that. And Anyways, it started back in August. I took a position for a kinder teacher who didn't like the distance learning situation. And so she ended up actually retiring. And I took her position for about, I don't know, I think it was six weeks or two months, two months. And I had the cutest little kindergartners, little five and six-year-olds um, on my screen every morning. And I had to be very animated and sing. And so I was all in my kitchen. It was a lot of work. It's a as they say, a dog and pony show. And it's like putting on a little party every day for 20 little kids who are watching you. And you, you know, you get them involved as well, but it was really fun. And then um, that position was filled by um, a credentialed teacher. So they opened up the position and they found a credentialed teacher. I am not a credentialed teacher. I have a 30 day emergency sub permit, which means that I can take a position for 30 days at a time and then I have to have a new position. That's just the way they do it. So, um, but as a sub, the way to become a sub is you have to have a BA in anything or a BS, whatever, in anything. It doesn't matter. You just have to have a college degree, a four-year degree. You have to pass the fingerprinting test and um, you have to have a valid driver's license. You can't have any 
you know, crimes against you, <laughs> those types of things. Uh, and that's about it. And they just give you the keys to the classroom and say, okay, there you go. You're a sub, figure it out. So um, after 13 years, I've definitely got it figured out. It's easy for me now. I know how to deal with kids from every age, every subject, every school. I will do it all or wherever they need me. So I pick and choose my jobs because there's such a huge need in our district for help that it's not hard for me to find work. I work every single day. But um, these long-term positions became very valuable as a sub during distance learning because teachers weren't needing breaks because they were teaching from their bedrooms, basically. Nobody was, you know, needing to stay home sick or whatever. So, and the days were shorter. So it was easier for teachers to just work every day and not need subs, which would affect my work. And so it was a little scary at first in the beginning of the school year, like what is going to happen? Because kids are not in school. There's no PE happening. I sub a lot of PE classes. And um, this this position came up, and I, I don't normally take long-term positions because then it means that I have to do everything. I have to do the curriculum and the grading and the parent calls and everything, right? It's not just I come in, read the sub plans, teach the class for the day, and I, when the bell rings, my day is over. That's not the case when you're long-term subbing. You are the teacher. So... Um, yeah, it was a lot of work and you would think kindergarten wouldn't be that much work. It is. It's all the different grades have, you know, their pros and cons, but there's just a lot of work as a teacher in general. So I don't, you know, I don't, they don't pay you a lot to take on a full-time class. I don't get paid what a regular teacher gets paid. And so I always sort of avoid those because I like to just come in, do my work, you know, hey guys, what's up? This is what you're doing today. And it's pretty chill. It's pretty easy. And regardless, I only get paid. Okay. So if I do the long-term position, I get paid $20 more a day. That's it. 20 bucks. So it's an extra hundred a week, which is just barely anything when you're raising three kids. So it's not a huge incentive to take the long-term positions, but because of distance learning and there weren't jobs available like normal, I decided to take it. So I took it and then that job, of course, somebody else um, came in and they took a truly credentialed teacher to fill the position, which is fine. And I understand why they would do that because my time limit as a sub was up. I'm only allowed to do 30 days. We got it extended a little bit, and um, but it had to be given to a regular teacher. So Thankfully, there was another sub that had already done his 30 days in a sixth grade position and they needed somebody to fill that position. So I jumped at the chance for that because I still needed work. Same school. And so I went from kindergrades. So I went from kindergarten to sixth grade. So a huge difference as far as like their capabilities and just communicating with them. It's so fun. Sixth graders are really, really fun. And so, um, and they're just about to go into junior high. They're almost too old to be in elementary school, but this particular elementary school goes up to sixth grade. So these kids are about, you know, they're all 11 turning 12 basically. And um, there's 20 of them also. And I've just, I've had a really good time with them, but it's, you know, a lot of work. Thankfully, I have an awesome, there's another sixth grade teacher that is like my what are, what are we co-counterparts? Um, anyway, she's the only other sixth grade teacher and she's been so helpful and she lets me follow her curriculum. And so basically I follow her curriculum, but I, you know, I still have to teach. I still have to grade. I still have to be in contact with parents because there's lots of students. Mm, there's a good five that are kind of always 
online but not answering. And then we have this we have this app that we can use called Class Relay, and I can actually go, if they're using a school-issued computer, I can actually look at their screen, and I can freeze their screen. It's really kind of cool. Um, but I lost the password, and the teacher that I'm subbing for, I haven't been able to get a hold of her or get that password, so I'm sort of like at a loss right now when they're not answering. I'm not sure what's going on. They A lot of times they'll just mute the class, and they'll just play video games. So there are, you know, a few students that have been doing that, you know, and I have one student who hasn't turned in really anything the whole time I've had them. I'm not going to say what it is, a boy or a girl. I don't want to give too much information away, but you know, I've got it. Yeah, actually there's a couple students that are doing that. And I mean, what do we do? I mean, this is, I've been in contact with parents and it's not easy. Kids are in their bedrooms and they're playing with their animals and they don't really feel like doing the work and you know, nothing's really changing because they're not doing it. So I think this year is honestly going to be like a throwaway year because we don't have them in person. It's very hard to control what they're doing when they're online. So next year when they're in person again, full time, I think there's going to be a lot of forgiveness for the year before because they're going to be behind for sure. There's no doubt about it. So my kids now go online from nine to 1145 in the morning with me. And then they, if they want, there's not every one of them is doing it. I think only 15 decided to go back in the afternoon. Um, they are going back from like 1235 to two Tuesdays through Fridays. And the teacher that they have is the man that they had before I took the class. So it's kind of fun. They still have like, you know, familiar faces and they're so glad to see each other in person. They get on the, you know, meet in the morning with me and they're just talking about the day before. So happy to have seen each other. And, you know, it's cute. They're giddy about it. Like they miss that interaction so much. And, you know, it's just not the same being online. They are, they're burnt out on getting on their computer in the morning and staring at, well, I'd say out of the 20 kids, I probably have three that put their cameras on. We can't um, force them to do that because we're in their homes, basically, and it's sort of an invasion of privacy. You never know if somebody's going to walk by out of the shower with a towel on. You know, it's sort of like that situation. So we can't force anybody to have their cameras on. And uh, most of them choose not to have them on. They're, you know, they're at that age where they're hitting puberty and they're more shy and they don't want to be seen on camera. And yeah, that's just how it is. They're very, very uh, shy about it. And so I always encourage them to, but basically I'm talking to 17 pictures and um, usually three will have their cameras on. And so it's like, <laughs> at least I have them to interact with. So that's been happening. And, um, but we're, you know, we're winding the year up. We have about, I think, eight weeks left and um, I will then teach summer school. I applied for special ed because I really, really love doing that. I just love the special ed program. It's a totally unique experience to work with kids that are, um, you know, in special ed. I just, I think it's just amazing. And I haven't, you know, I didn't do it for the longest time. And then I was asked to take on a class for a long-term position. It was three boys that were, um, that had autism. And, you know, I used to say that we're autistic, but I was told that that's not appropriate to say that. I mean, who knows? I always feel like I'm learning new things all the time. But anyways, I'm supposed to say that they have autism. So um, they were kinders. And I remember asking the the lady in the office, Lupita, is she said, I said to her, do you, I mean, do you think I can do this? And she goes, you'll be fine. And I'm like, okay. So I remember going in that 
first day. And like, I've seen these kids like in the hallways, you know, where they're falling down and crying. And I've seen the like aides trying to like pick them up under their arms and the kids are putting their arms straight and just falling right through. And they're kind of having meltdowns, you know, and you know, the kids that are not in special ed that are in general ed are walking by in their lines from recess and kind of looking over at those kids, like what's going on with these kids, you know? So these are the things I'm a little afraid of. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle these situations. And, um, you know, but there are aides there in the class that know these kids really well. So it was more that I had to just kind of come in and run like singing the ABCs and, you know, all these kind of things. But, uh, you know, and part of the class is just life skills and they just have to sit and learn how to um, try to ask. That's my cat sneezing. Um, they have to try to, you know, ask for I want milk, please. You know, simple things. And then you give them their milk. I want a spoon, please. And you try to get them to say these like simple things. And it's just lots of repetition. And then when they have like a transition, they get, there's like a little, um, I don't know, laminated card with like a little fuzzy Velcro on the back and they have to go over and match it on this, you know, chart on the wall. And it tells them what the next thing is that they do. And this is just this routine that they go through every single day. It's like a constant routine, you know, like when they come in, they put their, their little, um, piece for their backpack on, and then they put their backpack away and then they grab their little, their next little Velcro piece. And it says to go eat breakfast and they go over to the table and then they have their little routine about that. So it's a lot of life skills and routine routines with the, um, with the special ed kids. So these three boys had autism and I was, they definitely had their meltdowns for sure. They had, you know, but I got used to all of their little things that they did. And uh, honestly, like all the little things they did were super endearing. I fell in love with these kids. And I, so I see them from time to time because I started that, I think four years ago. And then I started doing it at any grade, like junior high, high school. And I have some really special stories about connecting with these kids. And I remember um, one boy, that one boy who was a kinder, um, I ended up running into him in another school. And he's not very vocal. Um, and I remember he had one eye that would wander. And he was just has little, I remember he was a little heavy. And he, when he walked, his toes were sort of turned in. He was a little pigeon-toed. And... I, when I had seen him this other time and he doesn't remember me, right? I know he doesn't. I would always say hi to him, you know, and I remember his name was Marcelino. Oh my gosh. He was so cute. And he had these glasses that, you know, had to like strap around his ears. But I remember going on a little walk with him one day, we were just getting out and getting some fresh air and exercise with the class. And so, you know, you need to like kind of stay with them or hold their hand or whatever. And I remember walking with him and holding his hand. And like I said, he was not very verbal at all. And he just said, I love you. I thought, oh my gosh. I'm like, I love you too, Marcelino. Like, I'll never forget that. It was just the sweetest thing ever. So yeah, special ed is amazing. And I'm really hoping to get a position this summer doing that. They're, they're uh, doing two separate sessions this summer. So they're actually going to fill up the whole summer with summer school meaning I might only lose like two weeks of work, which is amazing because normally it's like five weeks that I don't have work if I do summer school. If I don't do summer school, then my gosh, it's nine weeks of no work, no pay, 
which is not fun. I, you know, I need to be working. So I'm glad that I have this opportunity and I'm, well, I put in the application. I'm sure I'll get it. I, there's always positions available. So there's that. Um, so that's kind of in the works. I've been really busy doing podcasts for other people. I've done that. I did one called Heart to Hearts and it's just me talking about my story. And I had recorded it with, the person who runs the podcast and we did it through a zoom and I'm supposed to tell my story while she's like watching me. And I found the whole thing super, super kind of, I was, it just felt awkward for me. And so I felt like I rushed through it. I remember I even blushed because like in the corner of my eye, I see her watching me as I'm telling my story and it's not us communicating with each other. It's just me talking. And I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to having more control and that, you know, she would be editing my story. And anyways, thankfully it didn't turn out okay because the audio was bad. And she asked if I could basically reschedule with her and do it again. And I said, you know what, can I just record myself on my own computer and then I'll edit it and give it to you. So that's what I did. And I was way more comfortable, but so that's out there. It's heart to hearts and it's, I believe it's H yeah, it's H A R T heart to hearts. And she's got an Instagram also. So that's, um, I did that one. I also did a podcast called The Grown Up Hustle with Danny. She's from, well, she lives in England. I think she's got a mix of an English Australian accent because I think she's, yeah, she lived in Australia also. And um, she, she's just amazing. Like she just started this podcast and it just took off. She definitely has a knack for podcasting and being a host. And I was, you know, I've been listening to her podcast a lot, just trying to like well, you don't want to copy anybody, but I love her smoothness and she uses a lot of really fun words and phrases that just seem to come naturally to her. And so that's just her. She's just able to do that. So I can't really copy these people, but you know, I just got to be me, but it still is um, inspiring to listen to somebody else who just started and they're doing so well. So um, that was a really fun podcast. We were on a zoom call for like an hour and a half. We did have a lot of technical difficulties. I think it was my, yeah, my Wi-Fi is a nightmare sometimes. So we had to kind of stop and start over for several, um, different parts of the conversation because of my Wi-Fi. So thankfully she was able to edit it out all the bad parts and make one nice podcast. So that's out there. If anybody wants to hear that, it's the grown up hustle. Again, it's just me obviously retelling my story a lot and just answering questions about HIV. So it's kind of a lot of the same repeat stuff that I typically talk about. I was also on plus life with Carl Schmid and he's kind of a big freaking deal. He was, uh, or he is, a correspondent for ABC. He does like the red carpet stuff, right? Super handsome guy from Australia. He's also HIV positive. And when he came out and decided to share his status, it was about three years ago. Obviously, Bruce Richmond got in touch with him because we were, you know, jumping around and hollering about you equals you and we needed a big voice. And Carl was it. And thankfully, he was totally on board. And he's just been an amazing part of the U equals U movement because he is so well known and so and he's so well spoken. And so thankfully, we have him on board to talk about U equals U. And so he had me on his show. And that was 
you know, via a Zoom call. And I was really nervous about it. I had already met Carl in Amsterdam in 2018 because we were brought there as social scholars. I think that's what they called us. And we were basically, for U equals U, we were um, basically asked just to go around and cover the conference and, you know, interview people, do a lot of uh, FaceTime lives. And it was, you know, it was, I was putting myself out there. That was scary. I mean, I, I, I felt like I have to do this. Like they flew me out here to Amsterdam. You know, I have, I've got to represent, but this was out of my comfort zone completely. And Carl was the pro. I mean, he had, you know, lots of experience in front of the camera with a microphone interviewing people. So this is his norm. This is his comfort zone. For many of us, there was um, eight of us in all. And, you know, we covered the spectrum. We had people from Africa. All of us obviously were HIV positive and um, people from all over, you know, uh, women of color, gay men, there's white Jennifer and, you know, we have transgender uh, women and, you know, like I said, just from all over the place. So there was eight of us and, um, but Carl was there and, you know, I was watched him and I'm like, yeah, okay, this guy's really good. My God. And, uh, I hope I'm just doing an okay job and I'm not disappointing anybody, but it was, you know, it wasn't easy. And my gosh, I was totally dealing with tons of jet lag the whole time. I remember I just felt like I was, it was the middle of the night for me and it was sunny out and I'm interviewing people. And I was like, my body was feeling it big time. Um, but anyways, my point of this is, is that he was going to interview me. And so it's like, Ooh, that's like really different. Like he's like a pro and I don't know why I was just really nervous, but he of course made me super comfortable and I wasn't stressed out. It was only 10 minutes. It was really fast. I can't even tell you where to find it. I feel like it's on Facebook. That's where the full, I think it's like 11 minutes altogether. If you look up Carl Schmid with a K or plus life, it should be there. I don't even know how to link it, honestly, but it's okay even if you don't want to watch it because (laughs) I feel like the lighting was terrible in my room. I just wasn't feeling my prettiest. So, you know, I kind of don't care who sees it or doesn't see it, but it's out there. So that is um, also something that I have done. So I've been busy, obviously, working, doing podcasts for other people. And I was also on a Zoom call recently for a bunch of up and coming pharmacists. There was like, apparently there were supposed to be 80 on the call, but there ended up being like 20. And they are from mostly, I feel like they were mostly on the East Coast and they were from different chapters, so different colleges. And they have different speakers come on once a month and they asked me to speak about my story. So I got like a half an hour to talk about my story to again a bunch of pictures because nobody had their cameras on so that's always fun but I'm kind of used to it anyway and then I you know there was time for questions at the end and it was weird because nobody unmiked themselves for the questions they just wrote them in the chat and so I just answered them that way it was a it's a very flat way to be you know speaking or you know being interviewed when you're just sort of by yourself but you know, that's the way it is right now with uh, distance everything. So, you know, hopefully that will all let up soon and people will get vaccinated and we can get back to normal and maybe I can get flown to some of these conferences and speak in person instead of on a Zoom call. And, you know, they did ask me if I'd be interested in doing that in the future. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Fly me somewhere. I love to travel and speak. It's fun. So I, you know, and meet people in person. It's always great. 
But um, so those are the things that have been happening since um, my last podcast. And um, but what really has been consuming me recently is the death of a YouTuber that happened about three weeks ago. And it was a suicide. And I cannot I'm like, I've done a deep dive about this. So I, I talked about it on a YouTube video because I again, I could, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, you know, I haven't done a YouTube video in a while, but I felt compelled to do this one because why not? I have a YouTube channel. I'm allowed to talk about whatever I want to, right? It doesn't always have to be about HIV. And there were other YouTubers talking about what had happened. And so I decided to talk about it as well. It's a short video. It's like eight minutes long. I honestly didn't prep at all. I mean, my hair's up in a bun. I did it at night. I just wanted to talk about this because I, I'm just, like I said, I'm just consumed by it. So Lee McMillan is who died. Um, she died about three hours from where I live. She's just down South in Santa Barbara. She's a Canadian, but she was here on a visitor's visa living with her current boyfriend. And, um, she, she didn't jump in front of a train. She climbed over, there's an overpass that goes over the train tracks and she climbed over the fence line and jumped, it dropped in front of the train. That in itself, like no one's talking about this, but I can't, like, I don't understand how she was able to accomplish this in the first place because the timing for that has to be so exact to drop right in front of the train as it passes at a fast speed. You know, this is, these are, this is a hard thing to figure out. Or did she drop onto the tracks injured and the train ran her over? I don't know. I don't know what happened. And I don't think she landed on top of the train because the conductor was able to say that he witnessed a suicide. So he saw her. So this is basically, you know, and I don't want to talk about this on my YouTube channel because people will come at me and I already have had people come at me on that video. You know, the whole point to it is that she had been cyber bullied. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know that that is exactly why she decided to kill herself. I, you know, no one will ever know if that really is the true reason as to why she did it. But let's go back. Okay. So this is, this is, and she was 28 by the way, and drop dead gorgeous. Like I, it's, uh, every life is precious, but I just like what I, uh, what a waste. It's so hard to comprehend that this beautiful woman did this. I can't, I just can't wrap my brain around it. And I know that pe the people that know this story are having the same trouble I'm having to just wrap your brain around it because it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't even add up. So she had met this man, Max. I'll go back. This is a few, few years ago. She had met this man, Max through Tinder in Australia. She was there. I believe she was studying. I'm not totally sure why she was there, but she's from um, British Columbia, I believe Canada. And she was in Australia. I think she was with her sister or a friend. There was another person involved because they were the ones who actually swiped on his photo on Tinder. And then she ended up meeting him and, you know, everything went great on the date and they moved forward. And what had happened is they decided to travel together. And so they, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing 
traveling in vans. They're van lifers, right? They were not on YouTube yet. This is just them doing this because they are digging each other and they want to do this lifestyle. They want to be in a van together and travel around. He surfs and um, he also has a dog named Aki. It's an Australian shepherd. One of those dogs with like the one eye is green, one eye is blue, and it's real fluffy and kind of gray and spotted and then a little bit of white. So that dog is with them all the time also. So they're doing van life. And by the way, they're a beautiful, beautiful couple, right? Max is a handsome guy. He's got like curly hair to his shoulder and he kind of tucks it behind his ears and uh, he's got the Australian accent. So what had happened is they ran into another van life couple named Eamon and Beck. Uh, Eamon is not a traditional name that we hear. It's I believe it's Jewish, but he is the man, you know, and he's got the man bun, or he did at the time. Um, and Beck is, you know, I think it's short for Rebecca, but they go by Eamon and Beck. They have a very popular YouTube channel for van lifing also. And um, they're just the cutest thing. They're both dark haired and they just compliment each other. They just are a very cute couple. They're, you know, they're, they're fun to watch for sure. And it makes sense why their channel has done really well. And I guess they ran into Max and Lee and, you know, they encouraged them to start a YouTube channel. And Max and Lee, I don't know how much you know, encouragement it took, but they had never done this before. They had never done vlogging or talking into a camera, but they decided to do it. And so they did it. And I guess YouTube, they were on the radar on YouTube and YouTube was like, we want this, you know, we want this channel to do well. And so I think that that is definitely a thing where YouTube can sense, like if something looks promising, they're going to promote it more. YouTube is like very kind of elusive. You really never know what they're um, up to <laughs> or whether they're going to push your videos or not. There's just no communication really with them. YouTube is weird, but whatever. Um, YouTube is, you know, it's there for us. And that is really amazing that we can have our own channels and we don't have to rely on getting an agent and going down to Hollywood and hoping that we can be seen or heard or whatever. We can just do it on our own. So anyways, they decide to go for it. And, you know, I don't know if they had the same, uh, I don't know if they felt more pressured to do it because now it was getting picked up by YouTube and they were, they were getting followers and they felt this pressure to keep it going. I don't know that they were so comfortable with it. Like I said, they had another van life couple that were really aiming and Beck that were really encouraging them to do it. So, you know, I, Eamon and Beck did it because they wanted to do it. You know, it was something they decided to run with. And this new couple, although they were very popular, I'm not sure they were totally comfortable with it. When I look back at their videos, which are definitely all there on the internet, it's called Max and Lee. Um, you can see that they had, you know, they have 500,000 subscribers now. And um, they, I don't know, I just sensed in a lot of videos that they were stressed out a lot about making sure that they were, you know, doing everything on time or they said, you know, we tried to vlog for the last four days, but we just weren't feeling it. So, you know, or they were sick or they're always kind of apologizing. Um, but they definitely knew how to edit nicely with music and show a lot of drone shots and, um, they, you know, they know how to talk into the camera but I just, there was just this sense of feeling like maybe they're feeling pressured to do it at this point because they have sponsors and they kind of have to. And all of that affects their relationship, right? They, it's not normal to be filming everything you're doing. It's just totally, um, it's just not natural. You know, you're filming yourself cooking, you're filming yourself 
you know, cleaning up the van. And I just think that that puts a lot of pressure on your relationship in general. You're just trying to like show yourself, make yourself look a certain way. There's obviously you want to present yourself a certain way on YouTube. And um, it just takes away from the relationship in general because you're pointing a camera at each other. I noticed sometimes when he would film her, he would be like, um, you know, she'd say, oh, you, you know, you caught me off guard, you know, and but she's still trying to like play it off and like, yeah, I'm doing this now or whatever. And they'd use the footage. But I just sensed that this didn't feel completely natural to them. So they go along with this, you know, YouTubing for I feel like it was at least two years that this was going on pretty strong and they're traveling. I feel like the traveling that they were doing was from Canada down to the end of South America. There's a trail. Well, you know, it's off road, but a lot of um, van lifers like to do this, tr this route. And so they were taking this route all the way down from Canada to South America. And I know she'd said in um, a video that she or a podcast that she did with Eamon and Beck, they have a podcast called Reroute. And she said, you know, for like every mile that you're driving away from home, it's another mile that you have to drive back and you have to think about expenses. And they were, you know, she was starting to run short on money. And so she was, you know, talking about that some. And so then that was putting pressure on their situation and feeling somewhat, I think, homesick too, you know, the further you go away. But they obviously were having great adventures along the way. And, you know, I don't know, like, what would they have done if they weren't filming this and it wasn't for other people? Would they have continued on this trip? Would they have continued to um, go all the way down? Or would they have just given up and said, you know, we're not going to do this anymore? Who knows, right? Um, somewhere along the way, they met another van life well, not van life couple. They weren't on YouTube. They were just another couple that were van lifing. And they, there is two videos of them, um, going into this area. I, I can't remember which country it was, um, in South America, but it was, um, an area where they had to go very off road to get there. And it was apparently could have been kind of unsafe because they were in like some, Oh, I don't know, like sand that they could have gotten caught in and stuff, but it was really cold at night. And I remember it was really neat. They showed this video of flamingos that actually freeze in the water at night. Their legs actually get frozen in the water and they don't move. <laughs> and this is just like something that happens and they're used to it. And then in the morning, as the sun comes up, it starts to melt the water and they're able to climb out of the water and shake them their little feathers off and they're happy as can be. And so they did film that. It was really neat. But they were with this other couple, Jordan, and I don't know his girlfriend's name. So it was Max and Lee and of course the dog and then Jordan, his girlfriend and their dog. And so you see a few of these videos that are there together. I think that that was probably a year and a half before all of this happened. Um, I'm not sure. It's a little fuzzy on some of the time frames, but anyways, regardless, she and Max, um, it, she ended it with him. She ended it with Max. And what happened was, is I think they were getting into the beginning of 2020 and she was, um, they were just, I don't know, something had happened and she was probably just feeling stressed out about the, you know, the tight quarters, who knows? You know, we don't know their relationship behind the scenes. They're only showing us what they want us to see. So we really don't know how she was feeling. I can only imagine how hard it would be to be in a van all the time and not have that normal routine of being in a house and going to a store. They, she talked about just getting like food sometimes where they would go to a market somewhere in Mexico and all they could get was like 
potatoes, tomatoes, and onions. Like they were having a hard time finding like food that they wanted, stuff like that. And like just showering, apparently they could only like, you know, sometimes they would go days without a shower and it was just, you know, it's not easy. This van life and it's not always easy. So who knows what, you know, brought her to the point that she felt that she needed to um, end the relationship, but she did. And clearly this is going to affect YouTube. It was going to affect the viewers and um, she had leaked out some of this information through her Instagram because she had gone to, I think it was Belize with Eamon and Beck, and there's videos of her dancing around with them. And people didn't like this because it was like showing her in a, she was happy and she was having fun with this other couple and people had gotten wind that she wasn't with Max anymore. And so she was starting to get some hate for this, you know? And, you know, I know how that feels. It's not fun to have people ridicule you um, through social media that don't even know you, right? So she's being completely judged about this decision that she felt she needed to make. So she ends up going back to Canada. And from what she described from a video that she put out on her channel, Life with Lee, and, you know, what they had decided, by the way, is that this main channel of theirs would be a platform for their for them to launch their new channels. So Max was going to have access to the main channel. And of course, they're going to split anything that comes from this channel. So Max was going to start with a new channel called Max and Aki. It's just him and his dog. They're still van lifing. He got another van. He was going to, you know, um, build it out and travel and show his life traveling with this van um, in Australia. And so he was um, using it for the first six months, and then she was going to be able to upload her videos six months later and start her channel Life with Lee. In that time, while he's doing his videos, you know, he's doing okay. He's not crying, you know, he's moving on. And this was really her decision. So she's, what she said from a reroute podcast with Eamon and Beck around Christmas time of 2020 is that it wasn't easy watching your boyfriend that you'd broken up with moving on. Um, it's not normal to see their life after you break up. Usually you don't have any contact, but you know, she said it was hard not to watch. So she said that it did affect her. She also had taken the dog Aki back with her to Canada because there was some issues with bringing him back to Australia and being quarantined for six months in some, you know, I don't know, kennel or something. So she offered to take Aki for six months in Canada. And that way he could be transferred back to Max, you know, I guess six months later. But so she has this reminder all the time of the dog. It's like, you know, living with her in Canada at her parents' place. And also they were going to sell the van, which apparently they did for $30,000 and they split it 15,000 each way, which gave her some money to afford a brand new van. But she also obviously needed funding for a brand new van. Also, those vans are like, you know, $50,000 around there for a brand new one, which she bought sort of close to where I live. It was about an hour away from where I live. Um, but anyway, so she was back in her parents' home in, again, I'm say, saying British Columbia, but it might be Ontario. I'm not sure. It's like kind of just north of where I am. I'm in California. Go goes straight up. She's basically up there. And she said in a video, one of her first videos when she's starting her channel Life with Lee is that she had gone through some really, really bad depression to the point where she felt like she couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't take care of herself. The only time she felt relief was when she was asleep. And so she was sharing this, you know, journal entry that she'd written with her viewers as the very starting point of her new channel. And so she was, it was really raw and she wanted everybody to know that she had gone through this depression 
and she talked about it on Reroute with Eamon and Beck about how bad it was for mental health and that she really felt that mental health was just as important as physical health. Obviously, I think most people agree with that. Um, so she's been very open about her mental mental health journey. And so she put that video out and she was basically claiming at this point when she put the video out and it was January of about 2020 when it came out that she was no, I'm sorry. It was um, the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021 when she put it out. But she was basically claiming that everything was fine now. And she had, you know, moved on and she was doing great and she was going to start this new channel and she'd taken up cycling and golf and she's doing new things. You know, she's really into meditation and yoga, things that are really good spiritually for her, for her mental health. And she talked about on Eamon and Beck that she had, you know, obviously had been speaking to a counselor or a psychiatrist or whatever about her mental health issues with depression. And she'd also been encouraged to start an antidepressant, which she said she did. She was reluctant to do it, but she did like 10 milligrams, which is a starting point. She, a lot of people that feel depression, you know, kind of sometimes feel like they don't want to do that. They want to be able to handle it on their own, which is what she thought she wanted to do also. But she finally gave in and decided to do the, um, the SSRI, the antidepressant, which are, are they're really helpful. They take the edge off. And like her doctor said, just try it for like a month and see if you feel better. If not, then you can stop, you know, but just at least try. So she said it did help. And so, you know, I don't know what happened after that point, if she continued with it or because there's some speculation that she had had a high dose, a higher dose, and that she just went off at cold turkey, which can, you know, cause, I guess, people to think of thoughts of suicide. But I don't know for sure what her dose was or what happened in that case. Obviously, I haven't, you know, nothing really has been clear about that online through people that know her. So she ends up going on this journey down to California. And what had happened was is she ended up reconnecting with this man, Jordan, that her and Max had done a couple of videos with when they were both separate couples. But she ended up reconnecting with him um, through the internet during 2020, during COVID shutdowns and all of that. And they, you know, they organically started a relationship. And so when she was moving down to California or, you know, into the Santa Barbara area, which is South of me, she was moving in with Jordan and she was basically going to show her new life, her new van life. And it was, she made it clear in, you know, I think her video, she did about five videos for her life with Lee channel. And she made it clear that this was, this was not going to be a couple's channel. This was about her. This is about her life, but Jordan will be in it. Jordan wasn't vlogging or anything, but he's definitely in the videos. She shows him because a lot of the time is spent at the place. It's a big garage, um, kind of industrial area where he builds out vans. And so she's got her new van there and she's kind of like showing how she can, you know, build out this van with his help, but she's using tools. She's cutting out windows. You know, she's got the overalls on. She's, you know, showing that she can do this. And so she's portraying that everything is fine and that she's doing this all by herself. And Max is going and doing his, you know, videos about his travels. And they're separate at this point. And people don't like it. People feel that she apparently cheated on Max with Jordan and I don't, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think people were really just don't like that. It's not George or it's that it's not Max. And I, I get that because there was something special about her and Max. 
they look beautiful together for one thing. Like they were just this beautiful couple. And I do feel like that there was this really amazing chemistry between them. But I don't feel that with Jordan. And I know some people online feel that she was so in love with Jordan, but I don't know. To me, it all feels put on. I don't see it when I see him on camera with her. I feel like it's like, okay, let's set up the camera and do a shot where I come up and kiss you. It just doesn't feel like she's got this intense chemistry for him. It feels like she's now dating this guy and living with him and she's moved her whole life down to Santa Barbara and now she's got this van and she's got to do this YouTube uh, channel and she's got pressure to, you know, uh, have a sponsor. Jackery is the sponsor sponsor. I think it's like a tool company. Um, so, and she was talking about doing a podcast also because, you know, influencers, they have their hands in everything and it's just a lot of different things to do. And it's not easy if you're somebody who's having a hard time with, uh, the trolls who are commenting on every single little thing you do. And like she said, in reroute, she said, you know, you put out these mini productions, because she had to learn how to edit and put these videos together. Uh, it is not easy to make these YouTube videos when you're a van lifer and you're creating like this beautiful imagery to like show your week of travel. And it's, you're filming so many things and then to put it all together, it is a piece of art when it's done. And most people don't get that. They think that you just whip these things up and it's super easy. It's not, it takes so much thought it's very tedious. It's time consuming. And it is your, you know, you're pouring your heart and soul into these videos for people to rip on them and say terrible things about you. And it's not fun. You know, I mean, people that are in the public eye obviously have to deal with this all the time. It's, and it's very, very difficult. And it also hurts because you've put all this work into this project that you're proud of. You want to release it. You want people to be like happy about it and you want them to want more. So to get backlash and hear that you're a horrible person and that you cheated on Max and, you know, I'm getting, that's basically what had happened is that people were really, there was a channel, Dave2D, who's uh, had like 3.2 million viewers and he was doing um, basically roasting videos about van lifers, but he focused on her a lot, I guess. I never saw any of his videos because he took them all down right after she committed suicide because everybody pointed their finger at him. Max, even in one of his videos, shows a picture of his channel, Dave2D, and says, this guy's been talking about Lee, saying things that aren't right and getting all the information wrong. And so, you know, they were very well aware of this guy talking about them and also people that follow Dave2D because he has a huge channel. They're going to go onto Lee's channel and just destroy her, right? She's got 50,000 followers and he has 3.2 million. So he could have so many people that could just go to her channel and just bombard her with negative, horrible things, right? And so, and she talks about it in her first video that she put out for um, Life with Lee. She talks about you know, how it's been challenging, you know, she says the word challenging and, um, to deal with these people online, she, you don't want to give them too much. You don't want to let them know that they're breaking you down because they'll just do it more. It's really disgusting, but that's really how it works. So she's very careful about her choosing the right words about how she wants to talk about how she's been treated with these trolls, but it has affected her apparently. And of course, no one will ever know truly what brought her to the point of being able to throw her body in front of a train. I mean, no one will ever really know for sure what, you know, led to that moment. 
but she clearly was having a hard time with um, people that were not saying nice things. You know, I, at one point on my channel, I was going to hire Joey, my daughter, but then I didn't want to put it on her and I felt like it was still something I needed to watch to like read my comments because there was times when YouTube has pushed my, some of my bigger videos and I get bombarded with, I mean, I remember at one point I had like 2000 comments in like a very short amount of time and I felt like I needed to read them all. I don't anymore and I don't respond to them all anymore like I used to. I used to like try to defend myself like, my gosh, so much energy put into these people that are just trying to get your attention and they love it when they get you and they love that they got a rise out of you. So you have to learn to just walk away, delete it, um, hide them from your channel, whatever you need to do. And then, you know, that feeling of like being, it's just this like, intangible punch you know you feel it you feel like you've been punched um it will fade and you'll forget you forget these things that people said you know they said something bad but you kind of forget it you know and it does go away um but it's still it's not fun and i know like she was getting mad hate from people and it's it's so like mind-boggling because she's so i know this maybe shouldn't be this way but she's so beautiful like wow, like they're picking on this chick. Like, come on, like let her have her life. She's trying here. She's trying to like do this channel and, um, you know, just, I don't know why people feel the need to do this to another human. I could never, I don't care how mad I am at somebody. I always feel like if I were to write something negative or nasty on YouTube, that it will come back to me. Like it's going to come back to me. I'm not going to get away with this. Like something will come back and something will be said equally as bad to me if I put that kind of energy out on the internet. That's just how I feel. I don't feel it's not right. So even when I write back to people, sometimes I'll write back something that I'm like, I'm going to write that back. And then I I delete it right after because I'm like, this is going to go nowhere. Like <laughs> this is going to be this back and forth bickering. So typically I will just delete the comment or hide them from my channel and just try to walk away from it. I've learned over time that that's the best solution. But regardless, she was, you know, she was having a hard time with this. And so she's now having to do the new channel and recreate herself and you know, I know the people that were following her obviously came from her Max and Lee channel. These were people that they were encouraging her to do it and they were cheering her along, but she obviously had trolls that were affecting her as well. So the, the morning of, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but the morning of, because Jordan released these videos onto his Instagram of her at the beach going for, apparently she was doing this, um, I think it was like a challenge. She was doing so many days of going out in the morning and doing a cold dip, so to speak, into the ocean. You know, it is Santa Barbara, so you think it's warm, but it's cold in the morning. It was like 43 degrees at the beach that morning, and she's literally running and going and jumping in the water. It's not, this is not Hawaii. This is cold water. So she looks very happy in the video. She's smiling. She's like, oh my God, it was so cold. You know, she's kind of laughing. Um, but I do have to say, and I know not everybody agrees with me. A lot of people think they were madly in love. I didn't feel it, you know, no offense to Jordan. This poor guy is going through a lot right now. I didn't, I didn't see it. And as he's filming her going to the ocean to run away, he lets out this, <sighs> I don't know it to me. I just picked up on it right away. Women's intuition. I don't know. I feel like he feels lucky to be with her and he's like, I feel like 
you know, he, he also maybe didn't know how to handle her because she was having a lot of uh, mental health issues because her uh, also her videos had stopped. She was putting out weekly videos and promising them starting in the beginning of January. And she put out, I think, about five. And then that and then they stopped. It was like mid-February. They were they were kind of done. And so she had uh, not put a video out at all. And then she killed herself like five weeks later. So something was up there because she was promising people, you know, new videos. And, you know, uh, when you have 50,000 subscribers and you put out videos, you don't make a lot of money. This is not like a big money maker. So if you're like putting these videos out, putting all this effort into it, you're not even sure what you're doing. Is this what you want? Do you miss Max? Do you wish you were back with him? You know, do you feel like you just fucked everything up? You know, who knows? And you're having suicidal thoughts that you'd had in September. How honest was she during September all the way to these videos in January? Was she having the suicidal thoughts again, even though she was putting on a happy face for everybody? Really, what was going on? No, no one really knows. Obviously, those close to her know. But she had a sister who was going to be getting married at the end of this year or like in the fall of 2021. So she was looking forward to that. She told people that she wanted Jordan to be her husband. I don't know, because in the reroute, podcast she referred to Jordan twice as no no it wasn't in that podcast it was it was a live that she had done that she recorded a YouTube live and she put it on her channel and she referred to Jordan twice as her partner right now like I don't know why you would say your partner right now I mean maybe I'm reading into that the wrong way but she was very clear that this was not a channel for uh, it was not a couple's channel it was her channel and Jordan would be on it but um Anyways, it was her channel. So, and they had, you know, the van was for her. He had his own van, Jordan did. And I know she was going to be traveling and showing her travels. Um, I don't really know where she was going. She might have been thinking of going down to, you know, back down to Mexico or throughout the U.S. I'm not sure. But she was just in the beginning stages of doing this van. So, okay. So the morning of the suicide, she does this dip in the ocean and she comes out, she's smiling, wiping her wet body off and he's filming her. Three hours later, approximately, she's supposed to go to yoga. And instead she leaves her wallet, her car, her keys, and her phone at the place where her and Jordan are renting. And she walks to this overpass, climbs over the fence and drops in front of the train and kills herself. And I, you know, I, it, people are writing, like friends of hers are saying, we know you didn't want this. Like, we know you had things that you wanted to do. We don't really get how you made this drastic decision. You were supposed to go to yoga. What happened? Like what happened that you decided to just stop everything and take your life? You know, there was just no clear sign, it seems, but maybe with mental health, that's just how it is. There is no clear sign. Eric says he thinks she was in pain and she needed to get out of pain. Because I think that for me, who I'm not in pain, that thought of how bad that's going to hurt, even for a split second, how scary that's going to be to think about ending my life, to think about doing this so drastic to destroy my human vessel in such a violent way. I I can't even, I can't comprehend it. But Eric thinks with mental health, and he does not think that the 
YouTubing community had anything to do with this. He said, no, he said that that doesn't throw somebody into a place where they're going to kill themselves, you know, and I, I tend to agree with that also. I, I think that it's a bunch of things that led to this decision, this really drastic out of nowhere decision that she clearly maybe wasn't being totally honest with everybody, but um, it just seems so bizarre because she was so happy that morning of, and then, you know, hours later, she doesn't tell a soul. She leaves everything and jumps off this bridge and kills herself. I mean, the thoughts I keep thinking, like, what was she thinking as she was walking to this train? I'm going to do this. I'm doing this. Something hurts so bad that she's like, nope, this is it. I'm done. I'm done. And I, I, it just had to be an accumulation of so many things, I assume, Um, There was one thing that a friend, a close friend of hers had revealed on her Instagram is that she, Lee, had screenshotted a really nasty YouTube comment that had been on her channel. That was the last thing on her phone was this screenshot. She did not leave a note for anybody. She didn't leave any kind of like indication that she was going to harm herself or anything. So this was the only thing they had really to go on was this comment that was left on her channel. So, of course, that's led everybody to believe that that this was the catalyst that led her to this decision. And again, to me, it's just so shocking because she was so into her physical and mental health being equally important. And again, she's got this beautiful face, body. She's young. She's got the world ahead of her. She's not even married yet. She's no kids. She's YouTube famous. And whatever hurt enough, you know, led her to do something so drastic and so violent. And she's doing this to her own self. It's so hard to wrap your head around how she looks so normal. And then she decided she needed to die hours later. And it, it, it's, you know, death is such a strange thing and it's just so hard to understand. So, um, yeah, I really wanted to talk about it on here versus my channel. I didn't want to go into too much detail on my channel because people will come at me on there for sure and tell me that, uh, it's not my place to talk about it. And, you know, so be it. I'm sure people will feel that way about this, um, podcast, but it's, how I feel and I can't stop thinking about it. And, um, I, it's such a lonely, I guess it's so sad and lonely, you know, this decision to walk away from life and, um, your family, you know, her mom and dad and her sister and to know she's going to leave. Oh, there's a couple other things. Lee, uh, Lee, sorry, Max had written on his Instagram. He said, it was always you. And he said, I never stopped loving you, Lee. I hope you know that. It was so heartbreaking. Um, and so I know that he was doing his best to move on with his life. I don't know whether they were in contact much. But of course, that's so sad to think about that, that maybe he had been really struggling with their breakup and 
you know, he had tried to move on. His last video, ironically, about three weeks before she died, is of him spending a weekend with another van lifer, a woman, and he slept in her van. They clearly were, you know, probably hooking up because she's very flirtatious in the video and flipping her hair and smiling a lot. And she films him running into the ocean naked, you know, the whole backside. So clearly she got to see the front side as he ran up. I mean, obviously they were together that weekend and I'm sure Lee saw that. Who knows? Maybe that didn't bother her, but um, I don't think a year is enough time to get over that pain of a breakup, even if it's your decision. Because like I said, maybe she felt later that she had made a mistake. And how are you going to fix it now? What are you going to get back together and go on YouTube and go, I fucked up. We're getting back together. It's Max and Lee and we're getting back together. And uh, can everybody believe me this time that everything's going to be fine? And then what you stress out thinking, oh my God, but if I'm not okay with it and I need to take another break, then everybody's going to be mad at me again. You know, who knows? I mean, so many things with people following you like a hawk and, you know, picking at every little thing you do making a move, everything she does was being critiqued and criticized. So um, I'm sure that that was not easy also dealing with some, you know, and then having the mental health issues on top of it. This was not a good place for her to be. YouTube was not a good place for her, I don't think. And I, but the other thing is, is that she was, she is a talker. Like I, I listened to her on the Reroot podcast and she speaks well. I mean, she can go on and on and she's really interesting. Like, it's bizarre to get to know somebody after they've died through all their social media, but that's literally what I'm doing. I'm listening to her all the time. I did the same thing with Chris Watts and Shanann. I mean, I watched so many of her Facebook videos because I couldn't, I'm looking at this woman going, I cannot believe that he strangled his wife and then killed his kids. Like, I'm watching these videos of these people. So there's, I don't know if it's morbid curiosity. I don't know what it is, but I'm really into watching all of her past videos with Max. Of course, I want to see if I see anything between them that makes me think like this was leading to a breakup. And then, of course, I'm watching all the videos of her alone after doing her own channel to see if, you know, you can pick up on anything that's making you think like, okay, this would be leading to a suicide. And it really doesn't. I mean, it, it really doesn't. I mean, you can only speculate, basically about it all. So, um, yeah, it's just incredibly tragic and sad to see that this was the decision that she made for herself. Um, you know, she knew obviously that this was going to affect a lot of people, but she was in a, like Eric says, she had to have been in so much pain that this was the only thing she could do. She needed that relief. And, you know, there's that weird part of me that thinks that, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this the right way without sounding, making it sound weird, but God, this isn't, there's no really good way to say it. That is the scariest way to die. I think that has to be the most like how fucking badass of her, sort of brave of her to go out that way. What? Like I would I would put a gun to my head. That would be my choice. Soup. Not going to feel a thing. Climb a fence and jump in front of a train. Like the, br I, don't, I know people will say that's not brave. People say it's just super selfish of her to do that because she left everybody behind, but I'm sorry. That is, that took some balls. 
I'm sorry. That did. To go out that way, I mean, I can't think of anything more terrifying than to throw your body in front of a train. Obviously, not having any clue what's going to happen when you, when you jump. How much pain are you going to feel? Are you going to be in agony for even two seconds? I mean, we don't know. So that is um, what's been consuming me. Again, I'm just like, can't stop watching the videos. And um, yeah, so I'm glad I have this podcast as an outlet to share more of how I'm feeling about it. Again, I didn't want to put any more on um, YouTube because it's an easier platform to people for people to come at you and um, just say horrible things. So it's safer here on my little podcast. So I'm glad I came back and um, talked. I want to say there's somebody on my YouTube channel. They go by m.n as in Nancy McDonald's dot Nancy dot. I don't know who they are or what they're, uh, whether they're female or male, but they're, I think female, but they're always encouraging me to get back on here and talk on my podcast, do some YouTube videos. I miss you, Jennifer. So I want to let you know that you really gave me the encouragement today to um, do a little podcast and hopefully some more. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see whether I'm going to be doing some HIV stuff or just talking about things that are going on. Um, But yeah, I will definitely do more podcasting and you know, the YouTube videos, I'm, I just got a new iPhone 12, so I have a better camera. So that is something I want to be doing more of also. Um, I, I, TikToks are so easy because they're just a minute long. So I've been doing those. Of course, I'm really consistent with those and I'm always on Instagram because that's really easy too. So that's it for now. I really want to thank you for listening and I hope you will be back for the next one. Um, you know, maybe I'll try to put one out in another week. We'll see. (laughs) Until then, have a great week and um, be safe and smile. And you know what? In the end, we're all going to die. So it doesn't really matter. Have a good one. Bye.